Hey folks, this is Abel James and thanks so much for joining us on Fat Burning Man where we talk about real food and real results. Did you know that selling raw milk is illegal in 18 US states? Much of the food our grandparents took for granted is now banned in what we call the land of the free. The argument? That processed food is much healthier and safer, thanks government. While you may get dizzy checking out the list of recent industrial food product recalls due to contamination, it makes you wonder why raw milk is so very illegal in most of our country. To help us figure it out, we're here with my raw milk dealer from Tennessee, Mr. Bradley Bleasdale. My wife Allison and I met Brad at the Cookville Farmer's Market back when we lived in the Smoky Mountains a few years back, and after buying veggies and milk from him for a few months, he gave us some of the best fresh venison we've ever tasted in our lives. It was out of this world. In today's show, he's going to give us a lowdown on the controversy surrounding raw milk, food freedom, and what it all means to your health. Before we get to the interview, though, here's a review of, ooh, yeah, for the Wild Diet that just came in from Christopher. He says, the Wild Diet sums up the knowledge of the Fat-Burning Man podcast and creates an easily digestible guide to the new frontier of health. Abel touches on nearly everything you need to know for a healthy life way. He even gives you guidance on the family dog and your children. This may be the best source for everyone looking for a nutritional change. It's simple, straightforward, and succinctly written. It would take 10 books to garner what he has put together here. From biohacks to standing desks, he covers the gamut. Thank you, Christopher R. Christopher, thank you so much for the review and your support, as well as the kind words. Uh, when I wrote The Wild Diet, I really wanted to squeeze a ton of stuff in there so that I didn't have to keep writing a new book every year like a lot of other people do. And I think it's a little obnoxious when new books keep coming out and coming out because uh, the, the hardest part for the author is really simplifying things and communicating a message of value to you in very few words, often small words. We can all use the big words if we want to but it doesn't always help you. So Christopher, I appreciate you uh, pointing that out and finding value in the book and the podcast as well. Now, by the way, we recently became our own sponsor. And to celebrate, we're giving listeners like you a great deal on brand new goodies from what we're calling Wild Superfoods. Right now, you can save over 128 bucks off your purchase of our ultimate daily bundle when you select subscribe and save. You'll have all the health-boosting goodies of Future Greens, Mega Omegas, Vitamin D Stack, and Probiotic Spheres delivered straight to your doorstep every month. These are the same health supplements my wife and I and our families have been taking now for years to improve our own health. All you have to do to get them for yourself is head on over to wildsuperfoods.com slash save128, the number 128. So wildsuperfoods.com slash save128. And you can get that deal. But also, we're always running deals, so just check out wildsuperfoods.com in general. And to get all the latest updates, discounts, news, and cool info, make sure you're signed up for my newsletter. I'll send you a bunch of free goodies, including a really delicious cookie recipe. Just go to fatburningman.com and sign up there. You'll also find over 250 episodes of this show for free with no outside sponsors or nonsense. You can find that all at fatburningman.com. All right, on to the show with Bradley. You're about to learn how the ridiculous raw milk controversy ruined our food freedom, immune benefits of raw versus high-temp pasteurization and homogenization, the secret to the best-tasting fresh venison in the world, and tons more. Let's go hang out with Brad. All right, folks, Bradley Bleasdale is up public speaker and a small family farmer who specializes in fresh goat's milk and grows about 40 varieties of fruits and veggies for CSA restaurant and farmer's markets. My wife Allison and I actually met Brad at the Cookville Farmer's Market in Tennessee a few years back when we were living in the Smoky Mountains before that silly ABC TV show nonsense. But uh, after buying fruits and, or, or uh, veggies and milk from him for a few months at the Cookville Market, Brad actually gave us, this is a fun fact, I think it was four pounds of the best venison I've ever had in my life. The best. So Brad, really great to reconnect, man. You too, man. Now, 
I was just reading through your your bio, which I, you know, we had just kind of had little conversations, but enjoyable ones at the market. I was kind of trying to keep a low profile at the time. Um, and uh, But anyway, we, we had some great conversations. I'm really glad that we're reconnecting. But this is the first time that I've really gotten the, the full taste of your story. Um, so, so bring us back. You're one of 13 kids, and you say that you were literally raised on the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah, I grew up uh, one of 13 in a small town in Massachusetts. Uh, nowadays, it's not so small. It's um, right outside of Worcester, which is the second biggest city. And uh, I had an interesting time growing up. Uh, like I said, we were right on the wrong side of the tracks. I was in, I think it was third grade when we got running water in my house, if I remember right. Wow. And uh, my folks bought a couple of cows and I loved the milk, but I hated milking them. Sure. And we had always had a big garden. And when I went to college, I swore I would never, ever farm again. And then after college, I worked for a while, went to law school for a while and uh, with about a semester left in law school, decided I could stay with my wife or stay with law school. So I picked staying with my wife. And we ended up in Florida. I was a financial advisor, literally uh, running the rat race, had a massive house. I think it was like 8,000 square feet or some crazy number. And uh, really got tired of it. And thinking back to my youth when I liked to hunt and fish and grow things, I kind of, I exactly on hitting 40 years old, I had that 40 year, uh, hmm. you know, the, the midlife crisis. So uh, we started looking for land somewhere that we could afford because uh, with a mortgage on an 8,000 square foot house, you don't have any money to buy land. Sure. And we ended up on about 55 acres up here in beautiful Tennessee and decided to come up and live off the grid, homestead it. All that uh, wild American dream, which uh, if you ever get the feeling like you want to do that, hold your breath until the feeling goes away. <laughs> it's, uh, or, or come and listen to somebody like me who will tell you all the mistakes I've made and continue to make so you won't have to make them. You started that before, you, uh, before it was even trendy. Homesteading is trendy these days. <laughs> Yeah, I've always been a little bit uh, – I'm, I'm the pioneer that sort of blazes the trail, breaking his legs along the way. There you go. Well, I, I can say that um, there are a whole lot of fake farmer's markets out there, and there are fake farmers at those markets these days. It's really astonishing. But uh, from time to time, you meet some some really uh, great people who, are, who seem to be doing it the right way. So uh, I would love to have you talk a bit more about how – just the, the general tenets – of what you think good eating is because uh you know Weston A Price is is something that even for listeners of my show they they probably haven't heard that in a while because uh we were talking before this interview of how the waves kind of come and go and the, there was a big ancestral health moment back back kind of when I was starting this show about 5 7 years ago it was kind of but it but it came and went and a lot of people forgot the general tenets and now people are all on the carnivore diet where they're eating nothing but meat. So can you, can you talk about like what, what is balanced eating to you and, and why do you do what you do? Why do you believe this anyway? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm what, I was never a real student of nutrition and certainly compared to somebody like you, Abel, I'm still not, but I, it just never made any sense to me that when I was a kid and we were making butter and killing our own chickens and eating them. And then uh, people tell me, you know, when, when you eat a meal, the amount of meat you should have should be about the size of a deck of playing cards. And I'm yeah. like, that's like starvation rations. What are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I can eat I'll, I'll, and do eat a whole lot more than that. So to me, it's more like uh, I was at the Weston Price uh, convention last week, and it's all about I think common sense will tell you that if you look at an ingredient label and it's got more than four or five ingredients uh, – it's it's just wrong. I don't know if you know Pat McNamara. He's a uh, shooting instructor, a former special forces guy, and he says if it comes in a box, it's not food; it's a product. Yeah. And and uh, and and I stray a long way from that. I can tell you, I don't eat anywhere near as well or as clean. But we try to grow stuff that as close to nature as we can get it, and that's the beauty of especially the raw milk is it's a pure, fresh, raw, natural product 
that uh, the USDA says is completely dangerous. And so, illegal you know. in a lot of places. I can't tell you how many times Allison and I have bought milk for our dog. And boy, is it delicious. <laughs> yeah, well, the, you know, uh, Weston Price leads the way getting it legalized. There, There's now only seven states where it's completely illegal. And here in Tennessee, we have to do the uh, the herd share thing where you buy a share of the herd, kind of like buying a mutual fund. And uh, but, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a free country. So you have to uh, buy a herd share because you can't buy milk. Yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about that, because we do supposedly live in a free country. But when you look at food, it certainly doesn't look that way, especially if you're a farmer, as I understand. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, a big part of the, of the presentation we did up there uh, was entitled Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Raw Milk. And the first part of it is demonstrating that not only is raw milk safe, it's really among the safest of foods that you can eat. And when you look at this massive uh, organization that is the, uh, the food, what's the word I'm looking for, regulations – Right. There's the USDA, the FDA, the CDC, and they all work in concert to try to convince me that this is one of the most dangerous things that you can put in your body. Right. And and, you know, I'm like, I don't want to be giving people something that's not safe. Right. I don't want to do that. So I started doing a tremendous amount of research on it. Yeah. And the, the health benefits, you know, the, it's got beautiful amount of protein. It's got a beautiful amount of fat. It's got a beautiful amount of calcium, probiotics, uh, enzymes, everything that we need. It's really one of the most nearly complete foods you can eat. And yet they tell us uh, I was on the USDA website and it says, there's no such thing as safe raw milk. Well, I'm looking at my buddy Abel here, and uh, you look pretty darn healthy to me. <laughs> <laughs> Our dog We're is too. The dice. We're rolling the dice, baby. And um, so I started looking into it, and the CDC did a, a uh, study. It was uh, 27 years, and they it was all just about dairy products and in particular raw milk. And what they came to the conclusion was – over that 27-year period, according to the number they came up with, three people died from ingesting raw milk. And so I'm like, well, that's almost three decades. That's one a decade, right? And then I'm looking at the dates on it, and I'm like, 27 years. Why does it go from 1987 to 2010? That seems a little, a little strange to me. And uh, so I did a little bit more research, and – that those dates are kind of bookended with two massive outbreaks of foodborne illness from milk that had been pasteurized. Mm, yeah. So I don't know if they did it on purpose or not, but they left out the 1985 <clears throat> Jalisco cheese listeria outbreak that killed over 50 people wow. from pasteurized milk. Wow. And a few years before that, there was a big one up in Massachusetts that killed a whole bunch of people from a pasteurization plant. And then, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but Bluebell ice cream, yeah. obviously pasteurized milk, and several people died from that. So when you figure that a uh, right there in your uh, home state of Colorado a couple years ago, cantaloupe carrying listeria killed 22 people in one year. Wow. And yet they look at me and say— Raw milk that we think might have killed one a decade needs to be pasteurized, needs to be regulated, needs to be illegal mm -hmm. to carry it across state lines. But I'm like, well, uh, should we require the pasteurization of cantaloupe? Right. Perhaps we should say uh, cantaloupe. Yeah, exactly. So when we look at the numbers, the, the, the CDC says – and if I'm boring you with these statistics, just no, go tell for me it. To stop. I'm a geek. Uh, but uh, they, they say that uh, based on their information, on the very highest estimate, 3,800 people a year die from foodborne illness. Well, nobody wants to die from foodborne illness, right? But that's everything. That's poultry, meat, fish, everything. So then when you do the math, 3,800 is 0.011% of the population of our country. It's a – I mean – here, here's the way – I mean there's problems we need to deal with, right? 22 military veterans a day commit suicide, wow. 22 a day. 
13 people a week are murdered in Chicago. We don't hear anything about that. Right. But there's a foodborne illness outbreak and some people get sick or die. And it's, you know, I guess it, what the way I think of it is if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. And when you're in that business, you have to find some nails to hit. Well, the food industry, from my perspective anyway, is not built for small farmers at all all, which is a bit ironic considering it, that was the majority of our population just a couple of generations ago. Yeah, you know, uh, farming is now so scarce that it's not even listed as an occupation on the census anymore. Wow. And, uh, and, and you know, as you said, there is quite a revival and an interest and uh, desire of young folks to get into farming, which I think is absolutely fabulous. And the problem is, you know, a lot of times there's roadblocks that get in their way. And I, yeah. I'm like, hey, I'm, you know, I tend to be a liberty lover. And I'm like, let's get those roadblocks out of their way. Because, uh, you know, when it when it comes to living in America, it, <laughs> one of the one of the things uh, uh, I grew up in Massachusetts. So I have a sort of affinity for the uh, the American Revolution, and I can just picture in April nineteenth of seventeen seventy five, right? And here's Captain John Parker mustering the militia on Lexington Green because, as we know, one if by land, two or by sea, the redcoats are coming. And as he mustered the men on the militia, he said, "All right, men, the British are coming. We don't want war, but if they want war, let them have it. And if we prevail today and in our cause." 240 years from now, our great-grandchildren will go to jail for selling milk. Somehow, uh, I don't think that would have been quite the rallying cry the land of liberty was looking for. Well, it's especially preposterous. I didn't realize so many people got sick from pasteurized milk, probably because the media doesn't talk about it. How would you ever know, unless someone close to you died from having pasteurized milk or this this cheese that or, or ice cream, right? Like Bluebell was big where, when we were living in Texas, like everyone knew Bluebell. And it's a problem if people are dying from eating ice cream or lettuce or cantaloupe. Um, there are serious problems with our food infrastructure. And there's it seems that, that, well, especially in America, we're all brainwashed into thinking that bigger is better um, when anything is concerned. And you can you can see that just fall flat on its face when it comes to food. Yeah. And, you know, on the one hand, I think generally speaking, uh, and it's weird how we use the term a food system, right? It, I, to me, even that yeah. is somewhat ironic. It is. But our, the food in America is actually very, very safe, uh, you know, but we're not talking about pesticides. We're not talking about herbicides. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about genetic modifieds. We're not talking about fluoride in the water, all of those things. But generally speaking, our food is is incredibly safe compared. And I've never been overseas, so I can't say. But I talk to folks that go there. They're like, you know, don't drink the water. Make sure you boil everything sure. before you eat it, that kind of thing. So on the one hand, it's it is very, very safe. On the other hand, uh the especially, you know, I, I read about these kids in Atlanta last year have a lemonade stand and the health department shuts them down. I don't know if you saw just a few weeks ago. I think it was Chicago. And there's a, a civic organization or a church feeding homeless people. Yeah. And the health department showed up with police and poured bleach on the food so they could not serve the homeless people because they said, you don't have a permit to serve food. Wow. And I'm like, that's just, I mean, after a while, you just, what, 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 what do you do with that? that? You know? I didn't vote for no. that. Did you vote for that? I didn't vote for that. Sorry. <laughs> you know, it's just, so we live in such crazy times where it's like uh, everything needs that regulation. And, you know, when I was reading through the Declaration of Independence, and, you know, when, when you read through how our country was founded, the whole idea, Jefferson starts it out, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that we're all created equal, that we're endowed by our creator with unalienable rights. And among those are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And then he says, you know, we have a current governmental system that we don't like, but we shouldn't just throw it away. And he wasn't an anarchist, right? He wasn't saying, hey, we're going to chuck this so we can, you know, kill each other in the streets. He said, no, we're going to set up a form of government that's appropriate to us. And then he lays out 
the offenses of the king to make his case as to why it's okay to throw off that form of government and establish a new one. And one in there that's very often missed, he said, the king has erected a multitude of new offices and sent out swarms of officers to harass us and eat out our substance. Hmm. And when you look at that, and then you look at these regulations that carry the force of law, if I were to sell you milk, Abel, from my farm in Tennessee, mm-hmm. well, that's not against the law per se. It's a it's a violation of a USDA regulation, but it still carries fines and criminal penalties with sure. it. So it has the force of law, right? Well, all of that stuff is codified in the Code of Federal Register, which is now so bloated that they used to update it every five years. It's now updated quarterly. It's over 180,000 pages. The, the, the federal to ensure government our regulates freedom. the size. Yeah, they, they regulate the size of the holes in Swiss cheese. Do we really need a bureaucrat wow. somewhere regulating the size? I think we can handle that mano a mano without... With it. So it's just uh, it's 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 very maddening. I'll give you a go ahead. You're going to say something. Uh, well, I was going to say one of the reasons we moved to Tennessee for a while there and lived there for almost a year was because we were having trouble finding clean air to breathe. Yeah. <laughs> in a lot of places where we like we like those places Our families live in these places. But it's like it will stop if you look at the data. It'll with the numbers that they're already at of pollution, it will stop our hearts or shave years off of our lives. Already millions and millions of people die every year because of poor air quality. Yet they're loosening the regulations on drilling and polluting the air. And like, yes, we need to eat, but we also need clean water and we need clean air and we need yeah. to be free to live our lives. And so like the the cherry picking of uh, you know, certain regulations aimed at small farmers. Just one example. This was heartbreaking for us because uh, in in Austin, especially what, when we were there, um, there was a great kind of craft food movement, r- farm to table. You know, c- small scale people uh, making craft stuff. And there was this one dude, Sebastian, who came over from France. Who you know, for years we got pâtés and and duck and all sorts of craft meats and and bacons and things like that from Sebastian. And then we left we left for a few months. I think we went international and and then when we came back he was gone. And so we we went to the market and we asked some of the other people it was like what what happened to Sebastian and they're like I don't know, he just stopped coming. I looked into it and um I I looked up his his website and and just in the like couple of months that we were gone, uh, I don't remember which regulatory agency came in, but they came into his his operation, his tiny little I think organic farm, um, and demanded that he install like twenty or twenty five grand worth of equipment within the next two weeks or else he's going to get kicked out and shut down. And so like I found this page where he was trying to raise money in 2 weeks, you know, to to get all this stuff and he's just like I don't think it's going to work and and then that was it. Then he's gone. I had never heard from that man again. He made the best pâtés. He was like the sweetest guy uh and uh oh, it was just heartbreaking. But that stuff happens all the time. Yeah. And you know, it's it's uh, I, I get very very sarcastic. So I, when I hear something like that, I'm like, well, you know, I couldn't sleep at night knowing that those kids were selling lemonade without a permit. I couldn't yeah, sleep at right. night knowing that Sebastian didn't have whatever. And you know, when it when it comes to the milk in particular, right? Because you look at what milk has in it, and it's like God created this perfect food because not only do you get that nutrition, but the, the main thing that's in there to help is all the enzymes and probiotics that occur naturally in raw milk, right? Well, here's the crazy thing. There's about five, about five main uh, pathogens that can infect milk, listeria and campylobacter. And, and most of those, you know, you were talking about uh, – I forget what you're talking about. But anyways, most of those aren't in the milk. They can be, it can be contaminated ex post facto. And the enzymes, you know, you have phosphatase that helps you 
digest the potassium and you need that potassium, calcium. Uh, you have lipase, which helps you digest fats. They're all there to help you digest it, right? So you would think that since they require pasteurization, that pasteur the, the test to see whether or not your milk has been pasteurized is lack of those bacterial things that can harm you, right? Mm -hmm. That's not the case. The test to determine whether or not your milk is properly pasteurized when they test your milk to see if it's done, they test for enzymes. And if the enzymes are there, that means it hasn't been pasteurized. Wow. So you have to kill the milk. So the only safe milk is dead milk. And which goes bad well, faster so, in some ways, right? It's it's, it's like going to spoil because there's nothing protect. There's no good bacteria left to protect it. Well, not I. You know the 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 way I look at it. Uh, my wife says it's a petri dish. You've made this this uh, petri dish with this nutrient in it that's now sterile. Yeah, just a growth and, medium. Sure. So guess what? If something bad shows up or something good shows up, the bad guys usually win. Then right. And it's just madness. And then, you know, your your buddy there, Sebastian, who knows what it was he needed. Right. But did you ever lose a minute's sleep knowing he didn't have that $25,000 worth of equipment? No. Who's delicious? Always. Never got sick. Yeah, exactly. So, the, you know, in, in Tennessee, for example, it's against the law to recycle egg cartons. You must buy new egg cartons. And it's like, it's just in other countries they don't even bother refrigerating eggs you know um my yeah well i was gonna say my my dad's uh side of the family my grandfather uh he was uh a organic farmer way back in the day uh and they were also dairy farmers and my dad told me that the way that they used to have yogurt was by you know from when it was and i don't know exactly how it was done but basically just kept warm warm out of the animal kept warm and let they let it grow and uh sure dad said he's never had anything like it to this day but he, they loved it sure and you know the thing is pasteurization got to be popular in the states in particular right about the same time that indoor plumbing and an understanding of germ theory uh, you know, penicillin's only been around uh, not even a hundred years yet. Sure. So, uh, so all of those things sort of had a, a, a happy, uh, happy nexus point. And you know, is there any doubt that when the milk was left in cans in the street and flies were landing in it from the open sewers that it was a bad deal? Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't want to drink that either. But with an understanding of cleanliness, proper hygiene, taking care of your equipment, taking care of your livestock. Uh, you know, one of the one of the dangerous bacterium is brucellosis, mm -hmm. and it used to be pretty common. It causes abortions and stuff like that. Well, there's fewer now than there's on average about 120 cases a year in the United States. Almost all of it from people who've gone overseas and contracted it there from milk that yeah. uh, from contaminated cows. So uh, two years ago, might have been last year, there was two cases in Texas, and the reason the people got brucellosis is because the little raw milk dairy decided to vaccinate its cattle against brucellosis and wow. the cattle shed the bacterium in their milk, which is not supposed to happen. Yeah. And the people got sick from brucellosis. So in my mind, that wasn't the milk that caused the problem. <laughs> yeah, <was> that's, the... <laughs> that's a perfect example of us like trying to outsmart nature. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, you know, there's no such thing as a perfectly safe food system. Are some people going to get sick from milk? Yes. Are some people going to get sick from raw oysters? Yes. And, uh, you know, but the, the, the onerousness of telling me it's illegal in Tennessee for me to sell you my milk is just, to me, that's beyond the pale. And yet I comply with the law. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's good to be be aware that not all of these laws and regulations are there to serve us. <laughs> That's important to know. Like just because it is like gray or, or it almost always is at the uh, farmer's market, no matter where we are, kind of like legal gray area to go home <laughs> with raw milk. We're carrying oh, yeah. contraband, it's, you know, it's even though right. it, it feels that way, um, there is great satisfaction 
in in knowing that it comes from a real place from people who take pride in what they do because that unfortunately is such a rare thing these days and i think you're a great example of that well that's like the wild diet right the closer we're going to get to nature guess what it's wild it's a little more you know a little edgy maybe it's a little dangerous in some regard and yet uh when do you feel most alive right is when you're closer to that edge you don't feel real alive when you're sitting in your couch but if you're out hiking through the rocky mountains my guess is you feel pretty darn good absolutely but i want to say too on the point of uh you know talking about meats i believe it would have been illegal for you to sell me that meat of the venison right from your property oh yeah so sure, this is fascinating because uh, I believe that the deer came on your property. You shot it. One of the reasons it tasted so good, you explained to me, was because you gutted it right away. You cleaned it right away. You took good care of the sure. meat, and it was fresh. And uh, <laughs> like you just said, the wild diet. That's the name of my book. I think that's the ideal. Like if I called it the natural diet, it wouldn't mean anything because that word has been so abused. It doesn't mean anything anymore. <laughs> but sure. you, it's illegal to buy wild animal meat in the land mm-hmm. of the free. Um, in which, most in most jurisdictions, that's for sure. Yeah, which is very very bizarre um, to think about, especially when you consider um, the the herd populations of deer in particular. I know when I grew up in New Hampshire, there was a big problem with op- overpopulation. A lot of them starving out. There was a whole island where the population crashed because there were too many and they got too skinny and then they sent in the hunters and that sort of thing. But uh, it's it just seems there's no balance. It's like we have to eat from these industrial factory farms or else we're going to go to prison. Like that that's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's uh, and, you know, people always ask me, well, why? Or, you know, they say, well, there's a good reason for that. And when they say why, I always say, well, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I am a conspiracy analyst. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. (laughs) I like that distinction. But when they when they say, well, you know, there's a good reason for that, because and I, you know, I know I sound like a, a one trick pony. But I always go back to, is that reason good enough to tell free people that they can't do what they want to do with their own life, their own time, their own property? And for me, the answer, the majority of time, we ought to be erring on the side of, hey, that's his farm. It's his property. It's his life. And, you know. Leave me alone. So I, I cleaned up. I cleaned up my language on that one. I, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> but let's let's compare a little bit. I think this might be interesting. Like your your life before your midlife crisis at, at forty, and mm-hmm. what's what's um, maybe surprisingly better now that it's not easy ever, right? But like, what are the things that may have surprised you living such a different lifestyle now? Uh, well, uh, I'm a big believer in eating cholesterol, but my cholesterol was over 500 when I left Orlando and Is that now right? it's, uh, yeah, it was, uh, but that was from stress. I mean, it was sure. just crazy. So, uh, re, re, let me make sure, are you saying what surprised me about well, it? Yeah. Like what are, what are the things that you, because I think you, <laughs> are living a life, unfortunately, that is so unique now. And a lot of people, especially like my generation and younger, have just lost sight of of all, <laughs> most of the wisdom, you know, that comes from um, working with the land and and living yeah. in, a, in a place that is free to you or where you can be self-reliant, right? Where you don't have to participate sure. in, in all of the machinations of culture and that sort of thing. So just like comparing the, the American dream achieved <laughs> with all of the debt that goes along with it to, to where you're at now. Yeah. Well, the, you know, part of a, a big part of the reason I wanted to move up here was to raise my, my kids. My oldest boy was 17 when we moved here. He's 32 now. And, uh, you know, it's every dad's dream that a kid would carry on uh, with what he's doing. And he has a he does the cow side of stuff. The milk that you got was uh, from my son and his wife. And unlike me, he's an excellent businessman. So he does (laughs) he does okay. And but to see your your son look at what you're doing and say, not only do I think it's worth doing, but I think I can do it better. Yeah. And then do it better. I mean, that is just so gratifying to see that happen. Can imagine. And. Uh, a big part of it is, you know, I started a school, uh, the Sequatchie School for Self-Reliance, and a big part of it is self-reliance. So many people uh, 
have none of that. And let me tell you, living on a farm, there's no money. When something breaks, you fix it. Mm -hmm. If the uh, cold is going to damage your crops, you got to get out there like right now and make it happen like we're doing today because we're going to get down to about 10 degrees tonight. So I spent most of the day covering crops. And the, uh, you know, getting your hands dirty in manual labor, it, there's just so much to be said for that. I, I read a thing the other day, Abel. It said, uh, young men in America between 18 and 30, the overwhelming majority of them not only had never changed a flat tire, they had no idea how to. Yeah. And I was talking with a friend of mine, and I, he said uh, – I was talking about changing oil in a car, and he said, I don't change oil. I make enough money to buy a service contract so I don't have to. And I'm like, well, that's great, and I'm glad for him. But I still think knowing and understanding those fundamental skills is critically important for people. And it gives you – not only does it give you confidence, but it gives you a tremendous amount of satisfaction saying, does, yeah. you know, we built our own house. Every every stone in this house, we built it out of concrete and stone for the walls. Every stone came from our property. We bought a sawmill and wow. milled the beams. My my son and my two sons and my daughter were integrally involved in every aspect of building our home here. That's not an education you can get except experientially, and I don't think you can put a price tag on that, a price tag on that. I think that's invaluable. So, you know, living in the big suburb, driving the kids to all the games and all that stuff, I, there's nothing wrong with it per se, but I do think you're missing out on a big chunk of what's available. And I'm not saying you have to give it up to go try something like this, but why not take a weekend or a week and go out with your kids and get in the dirt and see what it's like to see something grow, see what it's like to, to butcher an animal and where your food's coming from, to know where your food is coming from, to see – uh, see it growing, you know, not driving by the cornfields, but to actually see it is something people are missing. Yeah, and uh, I think a lot of people are, are bashful or maybe even ignorant of the fact that they can visit farms. But how how would they do that if if uh, they were interested in really knowing where their food came from? What would you recommend? I'd, I'd just ask, you know, our farm is, uh, yeah, talk about the mistakes I've made, right? So one of the things I didn't know anything about is drainage. And we kind of built at the bottom of a hill and the water comes off the hill where our house <laughs> and barns are. So, you know, about nine months a year, it's like an ocean of mud. Uh, so that's not good. I'm still working on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you, uh, there's a there's a couple of good like there's an organization out there called Woofing, Willing Workers on Organic Farms. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can, we've had. Ago. Yeah. And we did it for a while. And uh, but it was tough on my wife having, you know, the, the trouble is it's tough to vet the people that are coming. And we'd sure. have like these, these kids come for a weekend and, uh, they basically just want to talk and smoke and hang out and not actually do anything a lot of times. And we've had some wonderful experiences. We have people stay with us for several months at a time. It was wow. wonderful. But, uh, you know, you can get involved with that woofing organization, look at local farms and they'd be glad to have somebody come out just for a day. Uh, down in Chattanooga, there's a, uh, an urban teaching farm, Crabtree Farms, and they do workshops and volunteer stuff all the, I mean, they have been a, such a benefit to the whole local food movement in Chattanooga. It's just unbelievable what they cool. do for us. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's finding an, an urban farm like that. And they're all over the place. It would be a, a great way to go as well. Yeah. And uh, to your point, there's a really interesting thing that happens when you do get just a little bit dirty. There's a wilderness survival guy who I had on the show a while back named. Uh, yeah, I Cliff, heard that. That was great. Cliff Hodges. And, and this, he, so he says, like, one of the first things that he recommends everyone do when they get out in the woods is, is take like a handful of dirt and just <laughs> smear it across their forehead because it does something psychologically where all of a sudden you don't care anymore. You're, you're an animal just being, you know, and there's something to be said for that where, where, um, you know, everyone on their phones all the time, all like showered and dressed up in pretty Instagram clothes and all this that you see, it's, it's like, if you're not learning that other side, then someday it's going to creep up on you and scare you because unfortunately, you know, in the world we live in now, 
Another thing we were looking for, when because because we can work from almost anywhere, we chose to and tried to live in a bunch of different places. So we we um, really loved the clean air in Tennessee and loved all the green grass and uh, th- there were so many things that we loved about it. But um, most people don't really get that experience where it's that outdoorsy type place, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. Um, but but why is that like, why do you want your kids to learn those old school skills that that maybe they might have too much money for or will be too good for someday? Why do I? Yeah. Why? Why do you think it's important that the next generation learns the old school stuff? I, I, I think it's uh, for a few reasons. First of all, uh, if you don't have an appreciation of where you come from, it's really hard to appreciate where you are. Hmm. And uh, the idea, you know, as I said, the idea of self-reliance and self-sufficiency is is very, very important to me. Yeah. And and then it also gives you an appreciation of just how hard other people work. So when you see how hard it is, you know, let, let's say you go work with a, a construction crew for a day and you realize how hard those guys work to build the homes and the buildings we yeah. live in. You go go to an auto shop and, you know, it always has the sign that says, don't go past here for insurance regulations, but go through anyways till they kick you out and watch <laughs> how hard these guys making very low. I'll tell you what, go to the back room of a restaurant yeah. and you see people griping at restaurants because everything's not perfect. And when you work in the back room of a restaurant for a while and you see how hard those people are working like absolute maniacs to make sure you've got a decent meal. If you've never seen, I I said to somebody a while ago, I said, if you've never worked construction, restaurant or farming, and I, I, this is a broad brush, but I'm like, I'm not sure you really have a clear understanding of how the world works. If you've never done any of those things, I would add back up a trailer to that. (laughs) There you go. Don't, don't have me back up your trailer, dude. Mine is, you don't want me backing anything up. I'm bad. They don't let me. My, my son won't let me back up his trailer. He's like, I'll, I'll take care of that, Dad. No problem. It's hard. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. I, I'm very three-dimensionally challenged. I get that. Well, you can't be good at everything, but it's important to pick up, to feel like you could pick up the slack almost anywhere, right? And I, th- I think that that is one of the things that we're being coached out of with with, you know, every new product we buy is, is replaceable and um, expendable in some way. It's like once you, <laughs> this is funny, but like I, I was going through some, just a few days ago, some old footage of tapes, uh, tiny little high eight tapes from my parents' old house when they moved um, of old performances and just childhood videos and stuff like that. And I was literally like learning how to re-splice tape again and, um, it was probably one of the most fun things I've done that I can that I can remember in in the past few weeks. Just like this old school project that seems so meaningless, that's kind of hard, that takes a lot of you know fine tuning and finger work and what have you. It's a fun challenge, and 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 there's something really physical about it too. It's like I have um, when I was a kid, I didn't have any money, and and playing music was so important to me, and I I, I worked so hard to get the instruments that I had. Now I have more resources and like some of the instruments I have mean nothing because I just bought them compared to like yeah. the ones that I literally put together or built way back in the day. There, there's something to be said and, and I play the instruments completely differently because they there's more heart in it. There's more um, whatever the the um, confidence that you get from self-reliance from kind of building school skills is there and there's something really valuable about that that I, I don't think a lot of people necessarily experience on a regular basis. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, uh, for our school, I teach a lot of shooting classes. I do free classes for women all the time. And to see the change in people's demeanor when they come in, I've had people who've never even picked up a firearm. They're scared to even touch it. Yeah. And then uh, I remember this one young lady from Washington, D.C. I taught her how to shoot. She'd never touched a a gun in her life. And about an hour and a half later, she's like, well, what do you mean we're out of ammunition? You know, I thought we were going to shoot all day. (laughs) A half an hour. uh, Yeah. And it's just, uh, you know, it's a it's a skill that you can immediately. I, I don't even know that I can articulate why it's so important, why it's so cool. I just I see the change in people when they learn how to 
do that, what I consider to be a necessary skill in going from being afraid of it, being branded as something because they pick up a gun to now saying, how come I don't own like one of these and how come I'm not, you know, have skilled arms? And it's just, it's really gratifying when you see all those things happen. You know the, the quote from Robert Heinlein, right? I think you should share it. Okay. Well, Heinlein says, a human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, con a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer. Specialization is for insects. I love that. It is so good. (laughs) But, you know, it makes – I am no gun fan. In fact, some members of my family have been, um, you know, unfortunately harmed through guns. But I can see – and and I have shot guns myself on on many occasions, especially in the past. Little ones, big ones, and um, I'm game to try sometimes, and I am really glad – that I have on those occasions because what, what it made me realize very uh, in a very visceral way is that like life and death is in your hands. And, and what really uh, tripped me up or, or made me think even more deeply about that is that's the way we should feel every time we, we get behind the wheel of a car, <laughs> you know, on our way to work. That's the way we should feel. Um, anytime we do something that could damage some other part of the world, like every decision is that important as if you're holding a gun? Um, but going from a, from that state of always being fearful to realizing the power that every human for good or bad has is, is something psychologically that, that must be experienced to be understood, I think. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I, I think way back in college, uh, I had an interesting experience. Uh, I was living in New York state and this lady I know had bought a car and the state had passed a lemon law. And lemon law said if you had three unresolved problems with your car, then the dealership had to buy it back. Yeah. Well, she she had three minor problems with her car and decided she didn't like her car anymore. So she brought it back and figured they'd just hand her her money back. You know? And they're like, no, we resolved all your problems. You're not getting your money back. And she was just dumbfounded. And it's – it's uh, you know, part of the whole consumer protection mentality is that I don't need to take responsibility for this stuff anymore because other people are taking on that responsibility for right. me. Right. Whether it's making sure my milk is pasteurized or, or uh, you know, knowing I can dial 911 even though the response time is 27 minutes – and I, I think a, a big part of the, the, you know, you're talking about self-reliance. It is self-reliance. The, the time, instead of saying the time may come when I need to rely on myself, I think it's if you can change your life pretty dramatically if you say, I have to rely on myself. And why can't I take on those responsibilities that other people are willing or able to take on for me? It's like health, you know. Yeah. Why, why should I be responsible for my health if I can have other people? But it's a much more satisfying life the more that you take on. It's not easy. It's humbling. I think yeah. that's what people don't like about it. Yeah, well, it has been for me. That's for darn sure. Well, because we're all bad at most things, if we're going to be honest about it. right? Like We're yeah. not all specialists and experts at everything, that's for sure. Yeah, but it's a great and, and yet hard question that you ask. And... Um, you know, we'd all do well to contemplate that more, I do believe. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. We're coming up on time, but there's so much more I, I would love to talk about. Um, we get a lot of people asking about the difference between um, goat and cow milk. Um, mm-hmm. So so some people, I, I think if you could just run us through that a little bit, that would be useful. Sure. Uh, this is a jar of my son's cow milk. And the first thing that you'll know, can you see that? Yeah. The first thing you're going to notice is the cream on the top. Mm-hmm. The, the primary, the fundamental difference between goat milk and cow milk is goat milk is naturally homogenized. And what homogenized milk, it came about in the early part of the last century, is uh, when you buy milk at the store, it's all just perfectly white, right? 
Well, that's because they've taken the milk and they've forced it through a tiny orifice at really high pressure and it breaks up the, the fat globules. So in raw milk, the fat globules haven't been broken up, so they rise to the surface because fat is lighter. Well, goat milk, uh, that doesn't happen. It's naturally homogenized. Those fat molecules are already quite small. So goat milk is much more readily digested. It's much less allergenic. Uh, most of the real, uh, you know, guys like you, the health nuts, as I call them. Um, <laughs> I'll take it as a compliment. <laughs> there you go. Uh, most of them say, you know, if you can get goat milk, get it. They're, they're both great. Uh, the, you know, the advantage of the cow milk is the cream. If you drink as much coffee as I do, you're glad to have that cream in your coffee. And it is, yes. as you've experienced, kind of like drinking an ice cream cone. Oh, goat milk is a, is a little bit, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a wilder product. So the you know, in any raw milk, the flavor is going to change depending on what the cows are eating, you know, yeah. if you put them in a new pasture. But goat milk does tend to be uh, – it's a little healthier in regard to the absorption of the nutrients that are in there. Uh, it doesn't have – because the fat molecules are small, anytime you want something to taste really good, what do you do? Fry it in bacon grease, right? Yep. So uh, that's the uh, analogy I would use there. The, the cow secret milk, to health right oh, there. <laughs> absolutely, dude. But uh, I'm a believer. But – um, when we do blind taste tests, it's funny. About half the people prefer goat to cow. And wow. It's right around 50-50 until you tell them it's goat milk right. and they've been conditioned. Because here's the big difference. If you buy pasteurized goat milk, that enzyme that's in their lipase gets activated by a little bit of heat. And that heat will immediately, that lipase will immediately start working on the milk and make it turn, you know, just like anything turns flavor after a while. Mm -hmm. So it sort of accelerates. So I, personally, I cannot drink pasteurized goat milk. I can barely, I can stand pasteurized cow milk. Yep. I don't like it, but I'll drink it. But I can't drink pasteurized goat milk. So for all of those people out there whose only experience with goat milk is getting it at Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or something mm -hmm. like that where it's pasteurized, that is not goat milk. Go find a quality farmer. Go to realmilk.com. Look in your state for a local uh, raw milk place and get some real goat milk. And it's just – it's fabulous. I mean – and here's the other thing, Abel, that kills me. People will say, well, what am I going to do with a gallon of milk a week? And I'm like, there's many, many days I drink a half a gallon a day. And I just don't, I don't, so I don't really have a category for people who can't figure out what to do with a gallon a week. I but. can tell you what we did. We made um, kefir or kefir or however you want to say it. Uh, yeah, yeah. We made yogurts. We put it in, um, well, the cream was delicious. That went first every time. No doubt. <laughs> but we'd fer usually ferment um, a lot of the rest of it if we had extra. Um, yeah. But man, it's different. It's so good. And it's it's hard to find most because we, we travel so much. It, you do have to invest some time, um, but it's not that much. Like you said, you just go to that website, look it up and you'll find some sources uh, that are that are hopefully relatively close to you. Now, what about um, before we go? I, I wanted to ask because you do see these popping up in some of the health food stores, um, the low temp pasteurized, non homogenized cow dairy. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the, the temperatures, uh, traditional milk is pasteurized at I think it is 140 degrees for 30 minutes. An ultra-pasteurized milk is like 280 degrees for two seconds. So the idea with the low-temp pasteurization, if they can get it through uh, the state, is the hope is that it's at a low enough temperature that it won't kill all the enzymes uh, and that's a good thing. I mean, if that's, uh, you know, personally, I wouldn't mess with it. But if that's, uh, you know, if somebody is completely concerned about whether or not their milk is pasteurized, that's not a bad alternative. Sure. Hom homogenization is an interesting thing because uh, when they when they started to homogenize milk, it was right after they started requiring pasteurization. And the reason for that is if you haven't pasteurized the milk and then you homogenize it, as I said, those fat molecules are now very small. So the enzymes now have a much bigger surface area to work on and it immediately goes rancid. Mm. So uh, a fortunate coincidence was they require pasteurization, which kills the enzymes that help you to digest the fat. And then they homogenize it to make the fat globules smaller so it's easier to digest. So we kill the milk so we can homogenize it 
so we can digest the milk. Makes perfect sense. We should probably regulate that before it goes from mother to child for all Americans. It's really, it's really quite absurd when you think about it. Don't don't get me don't even get me going on that one. Oh my goodness, we are almost out of time. But but before we go, please um, tell folks a little bit more about uh, what you're working on uh, your your wilderness survival classes and uh, and where folks can find you. Yeah, uh, the uh, the school is called the Sequatchie School uh, for Self-Reliance and Survival Skills. There's a county in Tennessee called Sequatchie County and a river that flows through it. And uh, that's uh, it's me and some really a lot of guys who are far more qualified than me uh, to do this stuff. One, our wilderness survival instructor, Josh McKinley. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Tracker School up in New Jersey, Tom Brown's school up there. It, yeah. Yeah, he's world famous. Uh, Josh has been to his school as of uh, this year 11 times. He's just an well, – so he handles the wilderness survival stuff, you know, the scratching the sticks together to make a fire. He does that in about 47 seconds. just drives me crazy. And then we do uh, emergency preparedness classes, trauma medicine classes. Uh, um, I do a lot of the ones I do are free. I'll be teaching down in North Georgia, a uh, basics, basics of emergency preparedness class in a couple of weeks. And, uh, yeah, it's sequatchieschool.com. And we, you know, as a big part of that too, we're going to be offering this year, uh, farming classes for urban farming, small scale farming right here on our farm in Spencer. And then, uh, my son and his wife, they broke off for marketing purposes. It's Orchard House Creamery for folks that want that yummy cow milk. And our farm is, yeah, yeah. And our farm is fallcreekfarms.net for what we got going on here. I I am very technologically challenged. I mean, this is my second time on Skype. So you're doing great. (laughs) (laughs) No, but really Brad, um, thank you so much for spending the time with us. Um, I know, I know people will really appreciate this one. And, uh, it's so great to reconnect, but let's have you back on the show just to uh, have another excuse. Oh, it's, uh, it's been totally my pleasure, Abel. It's great to talk to you. This episode is brought to you by Wild Superfoods and listeners like you. Whether you're looking to drop a few pounds, maximize performance for your next competition, or simply stay young and energetic, you need a name you can trust. That's why my wife Allison and I created Wild Superfoods. Our nutraceuticals and cutting-edge health supplements are literally the products we've been taking ourselves daily to upgrade our nutrition and optimize our health for the past three-plus years. And we're extremely excited to say Wild Superfoods is finally ready for you, with much more to come. When you buy from Wild Superfoods, you're supporting a small family business, not a massive faceless corporation. We don't have any investors or stockholders to please, so our priority is you. We want to help you become as healthy as you possibly can be. Also, starting our own family company, it's kind of cool, has made it so we can create these shows for you without outside sponsors clouding our message of health. So if you believe in what we do, please check out Wild Superfoods. We think you'll dig it. And as a listener of Fat Burning Man, you can save over $80 on a one-time purchase or save over $128 when you select the subscribe and save option. Also, you can get free access with subscribe and save to our Fat Burning Tribe coaching and meal planning community. That place is awesome. I'll see you in there. It's usually at least $27 a month. So check out subscribe and save from Wild Superfoods if you want to get the tribe for free. We think you'll like it. So all you have to do is head on over to wildsuperfoods.com to order your very own health-boosting goodies for a big-time discount. One more time, that's wildsuperfoods.com. Thanks again for listening. Well, hey there, listener. This is Abel one more time, and I just want to say thank you for listening to this episode of the Fat-Burning Man Show. If you liked it, don't forget to hit that subscribe button wherever you might be listening to or watching this show right now. And if you have a second, please leave me a quick review for the Fat-Burning Man Show. I read every single one of them, and every time you leave a review, it gives us a little boost in the rankings, and that helps other people find this show. And if you can think of someone else who might enjoy and benefit from this free show, 
please take a second to share it with a friend or family member. And if they're like, what is this fat burning man thing? That's a really silly name. You could be like, you're right, but here's the deal. We've recorded over 250 episodes of the Fat Burning Man Show with thought leaders in health from all over the world. And so far, we've won four awards, hitting number one in health in more than eight countries internationally. We have more than 30 million downloads already, but we're just getting started. I can't believe any of this, by the way, and couldn't do any of this without you. So thanks once again. But here's some more good news. You can download and listen to every single episode of the Fat Burning Man Show for free with zero outside advertisements, no outside sponsors, and no corporate overlords. All you have to do is type in fatburningman.com. I'll give you a, a second here just to type it in. And you'll get all the show notes, transcripts, and video and audio versions for all the past episodes of the Fat Burning Man Show for free. Better yet, Enter your email at fatburningman.com, sign up for my newsletter, and I'll even send you a quick start guide so you can take your health into your own hands right now, along with a few of our ridiculously tasty recipes as a special thanks for signing up. Once again, just go to fatburningman.com right now, enter your best email to get your free goodies with a bonus surprise straight to your inbox. This is Abel James signing off. Thank you so much for listening once again and have a great week.